welcome to Life in the Fasting Lane podcast. Each week, we are here to educate you, challenge you, encourage you along your journey with intermittent fasting. You can check us out on fastinglane.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Fasting Lane. Our guest this week is Amy Berger. I hope I am saying that right, but I think so because she's pretty famous and I've seen her speak a few times. Amy has a master's degree in human nutrition and is also a certified nutrition specialist, a designation that requires a master's degree, passing a board exam, and accumulating a thousand hours of supervised clinical practice and other professional nutrition work. Welcome, Amy. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to see you again. We just uh, met at Low Carb Houston. We did. I went to Low Carb Houston in 2018, where I first saw Amy speak, and I was too intimidated to talk to her that year, so I waited until I knew more things, because as you heard, Amy has lots of education around nutrition, and I was just beginning into my foray, and then this year, she was back, continuing to be a badass, and then I just accosted her in the hall and said, Amy, you're cool. Be on my show, and she was like, okay, creeper, fine. So that's kind of how it went, right? You know, I, I remember it as I was totally blown away by your talk. And I was like, oh my God, I have to meet this woman. She was so incredible. And I think I kind of accosted, assaulted you. But, um, you know, both, both stories sound good. But you, you were amazing. I mean, you, the energy that you had on stage, holy moly. Amy, you made me feel so good. Like, that was my first time ever speaking about fasting publicly. It's hard uh, to believe. Hard to, and I, like, I'm not just saying that. For all the people listening or watching, you were incredible. I mean, your, your personal story was incredible, but the way you told it, I mean, I'm, and the humor, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm the queen of self-deprecation, although you might be the queen, I, I might be like the princess, but that, you know, that stuff just makes us laugh, and you were, you were just, I, I really was like, I have to meet this person, oh my God. Amy, I'm like blushing and I never blush. So thank you so much. It was, it was amazing. I, I am a professional speaker. I've been speaking for a very long time, but I've always had this fantasy of speaking about a tap, a topic that I planned nothing for. I had no slides. I didn't know what I was going to say and something that I truly like felt passionate about and believed in. And that moment happened for me at Low Carp Houston when they were like, Eve, yeah, sure, okay, fine, you can talk for 10 minutes about your story. They were very gracious and nice to me. And um, it was incredible because when you go to Low Carp Houston, if you look it up, there are speakers like Amy Berger, Megan Ramos, uh, David Feldman, like they're incredible speakers who just like are completely educated, really intelligent, have this incredible medical data, have served patients, or clients for years and years and know all these things. And it's really easy to get intimidated. It really is to hear this knowledge and to hear these things up there. And I think the thing that you'd be interested to hear, everybody who is listening to this, is these people like Amy are really approachable, both in person and on Twitter or Instagram or whatever their social media of choices, because there is a reason that they've picked these topics. There is a reason that they focus on these things and work with people and they are so giving with their help that it's it's really pretty incredible. So I was so I was so happy to meet you. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Amy. She's been following a low carb way of life for more than 15 years. She's the author of the book The Alzheimer's Antidote using a low carb high fat diet to fight Alzheimer's disease, memory loss and cognitive decline. 
and she's active on social media as Tuit Nutrition. That's T-U-I-T Nutrition. So I think you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. Where else should people find you? So I'm on, um, <clears throat> sorry, I have a cold. I'm on Twitter. I have an Instagram account. I rarely post. I mostly have it to follow other people, but I'm on YouTube now. So I have a channel. My, uh, my channel name is, is Tuit Nutrition, so they can find me there. And my, my website, tuitnutrition.com, is where I write my blog. Fantastic. Well, even people, I, I, I hope people still read blogs. I mean, I don't, oh my I God. don't like writing. I think people still read. Some, some people better. They better. We put out a blog every day at Fasting Lane. So like, I, I think people are reading it, but y'all check out tuitnutrition.com. Read Amy's blog. Tell her you read it. Put a comment. All right, I Amy. Think, I think some, some people prefer videos, but me, yeah. I actually still prefer reading and I still like to write for the few people like me out there that do still prefer to read than, than watch yeah. videos. But I do I both like now. So. too, but video like far outpaces what people watch now online, which yeah. is incredible. So I try yeah. to do both. And then I try not to watch the video and judge myself on the video about how I look. I'm like, oh, I sound brilliant, but I look fat in that dress. Or I know that oh, I'm not. No. Why don't I just not watch the video? And and that works out really, really well. So yeah. like I said, I first heard you speak last year in 2018. Um, you gave a fascinating talk about Alzheimer's disease being type 3 diabetes. I am not educated in this at this point a year ago, and you blew my freaking mind. And I had never heard Alzheimer's referred to as type three diabetes. So can you explain to our listeners why you, you use that term? Why you said yeah. that? Right. So it's not my term. I wish I wish I could take credit for making it up, but it's not it's not my phrase. It's in the scientific literature, you know, like people with PhDs have coined this term. Um, type three diabetes, or they also call it brain insulin resistance. And um this, where this comes from, like right, right away, you know, there's something going on with glucose and possibly insulin just from that phrase, type three diabetes. And the problem in the brain of somebody with Alzheimer's disease is that neurons in different regions have lost the ability to properly metabolize glucose. This is a, a starvation problem in the brain. It's a fuel shortage or an energy crisis because these cells are not able to get energy from glucose. And um, the memory loss, the cognitive decline, the personality changes, those are the symptoms. Those are the effects. The problem, the cause, is that there's this energy supply problem in the brain. Now, we don't know what's causing that, but that is what the problem is. So um, I don't know how much more you want me to get into it, but, but I mean, one thing that's also really important to know is that this doesn't happen overnight. You know, I always say that nobody wakes up all of a sudden with severe Alzheimer's disease. It starts when people are much younger and it gets worse and worse over time. By the time you are actually diagnosed with it, this problem, this fuel shortage has been going on for years and in some people decades. They can measure the reduction in the brain's use of glucose in people as young as their 30s and 40s. But when people are that young, their brain is compensating. They're still healthy enough and robust enough to sort of like compensate. It's only when <clears throat> you're, the, the problem is so severe and widespread that you're not able to compensate. That's when you start showing the signs and symptoms. But by the time that happens, this problem has been going on for a long time. So um, it's, it's something that we need to be concerned about, not when we're 70 or 80, but you know, there's people in their 50s and 60s now being diagnosed with this. So if they're being diagnosed at 50 or 60, when did the problem start? 30s, 40s, maybe 20s? So my grandmother had Alzheimer's 
Um, she, she passed away years ago and I, I can't name a scarier disease, um, not to, to discount any other disease, but I think when I, and many people think of the possibilities as we get older of would I rather lose my physical or mental capabilities, I'd, I'd rather lose my physical capabilities. Now, I'd like to lose none and I'd like to do my best to keep all of them. But when people you love don't recognize you or you can see people you love struggling to make connections in their brain, somebody who's you know been so alive and so intelligent and so hilarious, it's devastating. Um, and I, I really didn't understand the connection between insulin and, and, and Alzheimer's. And I don't think it's a common knowledge kind of thing. I don't think um, the majority of people understand the symptoms that you're explaining. Now it seems so obvious because I've been hearing these talks for a year and a half and I'm like, oh yeah, of course, like that makes sense. But it's so strange that when we hear about Alzheimer's, we're like, it's this mysterious disease, which it is. We don't understand everything about it. But why do you think it's not talked about more in the general discussion about um, the connection to, to diet? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I think you, you're right to say that this, this is probably the, the scariest or one of the scariest diseases. And it's partly because at least so far as we know, there is no effective treatment whatsoever. At least, you know, worst case scenario, if you get cancer, there are options. They don't always work. They're not that great, but there's options. For Alzheimer's, there's nothing, right? So it's like, if you get it, oh my goodness. Um, I don't know why this isn't more widely known. It's it's well known, or at least it seems to be well known in the research world, in the academic world, because when I, when I initially started looking at this, and I just started looking through medical journals, like, let me see, like, what kind of information is, is there about this? What, what can I learn? It's everywhere. It is everywhere. So many papers about Alzheimer's disease sort of take it for granted. They're like, Alzheimer's disease is, you know, <clears throat> glucose problem in the brain, blah, blah, blah. They, they state that as fact straight up. And it's like not controversial at all. I don't know why this isn't trickling down to the average neurologist's office, the average family doctor's office. All I can do is, I mean, it's partly kind of like you said, Alzheimer's seems so mysterious. And it is, to be clear, we don't know everything. There's a lot of unanswered questions. But the whole point of me writing the book and the whole point of me giving those talks that I give is to let people know that just because we don't know everything doesn't mean we don't know anything. We know a lot more than we generally are led to believe we do. And um, um, the, the good news is I think to some extent that that gives us a lot more control over this, but I also wanna be clear that the insulin and glucose thing in the brain is not the only thing that can cause Alzheimer's or any other kind of cognitive decline. A B12 deficiency alone can cause cognitive impairment improperly treated hypothyroidism over the long term can cause this other you know nutrient issues you know brain injury of course some kind of trauma so there's all kinds of things that can cause it but at least when you look at <clears throat> the huge epidemic of metabolic syndrome now in type 2 diabetes it sort of stands to reason that um this 
if it's a glucose and insulin thing, that's probably the largest contributor in the most people right now, other than, you know, th those other things exist and those other things are problems, but the vast majority is probably caused by this metabolic situation. And um, I just lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else. No, oh, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. But when you, I think that a lot of people I know who have a family member or a friend who is dealing with the beginnings of Alzheimer's or, or, or signs of dementia, or, we're, we're all desperate to do something, right? Like to take some action. And so if we, if we know that there's a possibility that some of these things affect it, it stands to reason that if I had somebody I could affect, uh, I would try something. So what is the optimal diet for someone fighting a neurodegenerative disease? So, um, I can never say for absolute certain, but <clears throat> sorry about all this throat clearing, my goodness. Based on, <clears throat> based on my understanding, so keto doesn't fix everything. Sometimes you still get a cold. <laughs> yeah, um, I know, it pisses me off. I'm like, damn it, I eat so well. I get a cold? This is seriously, isn't, this, <clears throat> isn't keto supposed to make, make me invincible? Exactly. Um, so in my understanding of the medical literature and what seems to be going wrong in some of these disorders, and you said neurodegenerative, so we're not just talking about Alzheimer's. Like in my talk in Houston, I talked about Parkinson's disease. I talked about multiple sclerosis. I think one of the single most important things anybody can do to protect their long-term brain health and their long-term neurological function is to keep blood sugar and insulin levels within a healthy range. And the amount of carbohydrate, that doesn't mean everyone needs a ketogenic diet. Cool. The amount of carbohydrate that any one person can, can tolerate and still accomplish that, still have blood sugar and insulin levels in a healthy range will be different. Some people will need to stay under 30 grams of carbs a day. Some people can have 150 or 200 grams a day and be fine. That's not most people, but other than, <clears throat> other than controlling, good Lord, let's get some tea. Other than controlling the blood sugar and insulin, like I mentioned, the B12, so you kind of want what we would just consider an overall nutrient-rich diet, lots of B12, lots of B vitamins of any kind, and you, you can maybe accomplish this with a vegetarian diet, but you really need to make sure that you're getting all of the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, E, and K, all of your crucial minerals and stuff, um, and so I would start there. A, a okay. nutrient-rich, low-ish carb diet. Some people will need very low. Some people, some people can do more of a paleo diet, which includes more fruit, more starches. But they're all sort of whole food, you know. On processing is such a loaded term, but like real, real food, you know. Got it. Okay, I want you guys to listen to Amy because she's not saying everything is keto, everything is low carb. Everybody is different. Like the things that work for me are not necessarily the things that work for friends of mine. And you, you have got to find what works for you. But what we are saying is with people who have issues with neurodegenerative diseases, it's worth exploring keeping your blood sugar levels steady and finding the best way for you to do that and making sure you get vitamins and whole as much natural food as you can. So if somebody is diagnosed with Alzheimer's, can a lower carb diet possibly help? Is it something they should explore or try? So um, again, the, the medical literature indicates there may be a role for this. And I'm always super careful with the language because can, can we prevent Alzheimer's? I don't know. I think we can. I'd like to believe we can. Um, there have been a couple of studies now with either 
ketogenic diets or most of the studies have used um, exogenous ketones or MCT oil, which is more readily converted to ketones. And, and before I kind of get into whether or not this works, the rationale behind that, why would we even look at a ketogenic or low carb diet or some other ketogenic intervention for Alzheimer's is that even though these people's brains have a problem getting energy from glucose, they can still use ketones. This is absolutely uncontroversial. This has been shown over and over in humans, not just in mice, not just in rats, in actual humans with actual Alzheimer's disease. This is probably the single most encouraging and heartening thing about this whole story is that there may be kind of like a backdoor, so to speak, a, an alternative way to fuel these otherwise starving neurons. So yeah, they have actually shown that when people have elevated ketones, for the most part, they do have improved cognition. Not everybody gets it, most people do. And it's not like they're back to 100% their old self, they're still impaired. But if we can even close that fuel gap a little bit, how much better would that be than not closing it at all? So um, they, yeah, people do have improved cognition. And yeah, um, look, if I was desperate and I had somebody or myself, and I knew enough to, to try something, I would try exogenous ketones. It comes in powder. There's different people that sell them. I would try MCT oil. I'd try it. I'd try it probably before I'd try medications for Alzheimer and dementia treatment because it seems cheaper. It seems more accessible. It seems less of a risk. Um, and it seems like something I'd, I'd be willing to try much like adjusting my diet to see if something would change. Um, and so I've heard a lot of people who have a grandma or a mom or somebody who is suffering. And if I was in that position, I would take some ketones and put them in the coffee and see what happened after a while. Um, yeah, there's, there's a physician. Her name is Mary Newport. Her husband, sadly, he is um, no longer with us. He, is, he, is, he, he did lose his battle with Alzheimer's, but she discovered the therapeutic potential of ketones just by giving him coconut oil. I mean, she, after over time, she went to more powerful things like the, the exogenous ketones, but she literally started by putting coconut oil on his oatmeal. No change to his diet whatsoever. Just the coconut oil alone was enough for her to see a little improvement. And like, I'm not suggesting to people that coconut oil is magical or that it cures Alzheimer's. Right. It doesn't. But you can start there because we know that coconut oil will kind of get converted into ketones. And um, especially if you have somebody who's elderly or someone who's belligerent and really cognitively impaired, good luck getting them to do a ketogenic diet, exactly. you know. So give them ketones any way you can, like get, use coconut oil, use MCT oil, use exogenous ketones. If they can do the diet, do all of it. But even in someone who can't or won't try a ketogenic diet, these other things are absolutely worth trying. I mean, oh my goodness, why, why, why wouldn't you? Because there's really no drawback. There's no, because there are zero other effective Treatments. I mean, even the, the medications that exist do almost nothing. At very best, they slow the decline. They don't stop it, and they sure as heck don't reverse it. They very may be able to delay the worsening. If that's the best case scenario with the meds, what do you have to lose by trying ketones? That's so freaking lootly. So I met this lady at Low Carb Houston. Her name was Dixie. She was 75 years old. She was beautiful. She was wearing a giant cowgirl hat, which I loved. And she told me that when she was 65, she started experiencing dementia and it got 
moderate. I think she got to the moderate stages and somehow got to a decision to change her way of eating and went very keto and has been keto now for six years and has been tested, has written a book, is smart as a whip, 75 years old, and feels like this was the reason she had the reverse in her situation. Once again, not saying it's for everybody, I'm saying give it a shot, right? So yeah. I wanna talk a little bit about fasting. Uh, I wanna hear your opinion on fasting. Um, does it affect brain health? How does fasting affect metabolism in the brain? Right. So um, <clears throat> I do think fasting can be very helpful for people with neurological stuff, but I don't recommend fasting for somebody that's underweight or frail. And so if we're talking about somebody's elderly relative who's already malnourished and underweight, please don't let that person fat. They need food. They yeah. need to eat. Um, they can eat ketogenic food, but they, I don't think that they should do fasting. Um, but fasting in general, because we know you know, fasting does so many things, but one of the big things that fasting does that like affects so many of those other things is it keeps your blood sugar and insulin at a low level, right? For however long you're going without food, you are being fueled more heavily with fat, more heavily with ketones. Um, so I do think there is a role for that. And, and to the extent that that can help you know, put, put more of the body's energy and resources toward repair and regeneration, or I, I know you have a fasting podcast, but the word autophagy is starting to become like nails on a chalkboard to me because people yeah. throw it around without even really knowing what it is. Right. But to well, the don't extent you explain what autophagy is, and let's just put it out there. Autophagy is a very new area that people are trying to understand. And no one completely has figured out, but there are lots yeah. of smart people exploring it. That's my right. opinion. Yes. Yeah. So I think, so autophagy, autophagy, A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y, self-eating. We can think of it as like the body recycling old, broken, damaged, worn out parts and pieces, like different parts of your cells, amino acids, fatty acids. It's breaking things down and either getting rid of them or repurposing them for other stuff. And, um, and that's a great thing, but people, people need to understand this is a process that actually happens all the time. It's not like if you don't fast, your body never, ever engages in autophagy. If you never had autophagy when you were eating, you would never heal from a paper cut. You would never heal from any little injury like that you could stub your toe. It would be black and blue forever and ever. So the thing is, it, it seems to be that during fasting, this process is just upregulated, right? It happens a lot more than it happens when you have new energy coming in that your body has to deal with. When you don't have stuff coming in, your body has no choice, right? Kind of, but to turn to other stuff and recycle and break it down. Um, and I know, you know, I've heard I, you guys like work with Dr. Fung. I've heard Dr. Fung say yeah. that so many of these illnesses alike Alzheimer's disease, like Parkinson's disease, are, you know, quote unquote, associated with the buildup of, I, I wouldn't say improperly folded proteins, but the buildup of certain proteins. And it's not that these proteins are problems. The problem is that they're building up and they're not being cleared away properly. So if you go some extended or not even an extended, some, any amount of time without food, this may give your body more of a, of an opportunity to clear those things away that it may not have when it's just dealing with everything coming in instead. Um, but like you said, this is, 
I think the research on autophagy is fascinating, but it is in its infancy. And so much of it has been done in, in lower organism, you know, animals, fruit flies, that we don't know how much that applies to humans. And people say, you know, when does autophagy kick in? Like, it, oh, it only kicks in at 16 hours. It only kicks in. If, we don't know. I don't think we know that for sure. Um, We're not like anyway. a crock pot where the light just goes on when the warm Yeah, it's not, it's not a binary on or off. Like I said, it happens all the time. It does seem to be, though, that when you're fasting, it's going to happen more and maybe more effectively. Um, so I, I do think fasting can be very beneficial for these things, but we, we need to make sure that there's also nourishment too, because some people with Parkinson's are also kind of a little under underweight. I mean, not always, but I think, um, fasting is so helpful, but some people become so taken with the fasting that they forget the feasting or not even the feasting, but the sufficient nutrition, you know, like you I can have not experienced that, Amy. I'm well, freaking waiting for that to happen, but I'm thinking about steak right now. Yeah, I I have never forgotten to eat, or I've never, you know, I I, I have never accidentally undereaten, but some people have. Um, so we just need to make sure that if somebody's fasting, they balance that with getting enough of the nutrients they need to repair whatever's going on. Yeah, I agree. And listen. Amy's talking about, you know, should you fast? And let's say we're talking about these things for people in your life who may have dementia or Alzheimer's and you're like, I want to, I want to try some of this. Maybe look at exogenous ketones, maybe look at, uh, MCT oil, coconut oil, um, maybe look at fasting. And, uh, and we want you to be really careful if the person is underweight or malnourished, fasting is a dumb idea. It's just dumb, right? For, for this situation, typically. Yeah. Or that, you know, that situation, of course, <clears throat> something like a 16-8, some type of like more intermittent, skipping one yeah. or two meals, I wouldn't do extended fasting, but like the intermittent yeah, and, fasting for them would be okay. And like you said, for people who are, you know, set in their ways and older and already feeling frustrated, it's very difficult to get them to eat keto. So if you want to try fasting, one thing you might do is push their meal time back 15 minutes for a week and then the next week. A little 15 minutes more, let them have an extra coffee, maybe some exogenous ketones in it. These are things I would do if my mom was in this situation or my mm -hmm. dad was in this situation. Yep. I would push it back first. I would try these nat more natural things um, before I went to prescriptions or, or you know whatever I needed to do because we're desperate because this disease is insane and debilitating and nobody has all the answers yet. Yeah, so, or, or do both, you know, as like, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, this is not medical advice, but as far as I know, none of the medications contraindicate a ketogenic diet, meaning you could be on the medication and do a ketogenic diet. Like yeah. there's no, there, you can't, it's, it's okay to do both. Absolutely. So the Dixie, the lady I was talking about had tried the medications and they did not work for her and the diet did and everybody's body's different. So you have to take the journey for yourself or help someone along that journey. Amy, tell me, tell us a little bit more about your book, where people can get it and, and, and who should buy this book? Who is this book for? So um, it is called the Alzheimer's antidote and it's available on Amazon. You can beg your local brick and mortar store to carry it. I've, I've never seen it in a store ever, except Aww. the one, the one Barnes and Noble that used to be in the town where I lived. And it was only because I specifically asked them to carry Heck it. Yes, Amy. Um, I'm so proud of you. That's the <laughs> town is that? I live in this town. Where's my book? It's not even here. So um, they can get it on Amazon. It's, there is a Kindle version. There's no audio version yet. I've been asked about that. It doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, so this book clearly is really written for the loved ones and caregivers, because if someone is already in advanced disease, 
they're not going to be able to understand the book and process the book. It's really for the family members, the younger family members, but it's also for anyone who's in a very early stage that would be able to read it and understand it. And then I have to say, it's um, the, the whole first section of the book is specific to Alzheimer's. What is the problem? Why? What's going wrong? And then the whole rest of the book is how to do a low carb diet without making yourself absolutely crazy. So I would say the book is really for anyone who's interested in how low carb diets work, why they work. There's a whole chapter on why cholesterol isn't bad for you. There's a whole chapter on why red meat isn't bad for you. Because I had to, if I'm telling old sick people to eat steak and eat butter and eat egg yolks and eat bacon, I had to explain like, no, this stuff isn't actually going to kill you. It's really good for you. So um, it's, it's a nutrition book. It's a good nutrition and health book, regardless of whether you have Alzheimer's or not. Got it. And so Amy, how do you work? Do you, do you work with people? And how, if so, how, how do you do that? If somebody wants to work with you or somebody wants you to speak at something, how, how can they do that? Um, yeah, I do. I do individual consultations. So if you go to my website to nutrition.com, there's a tab that says work with me. And that's 99% of my clients are over the phone or Skype because they, it's very rare that somebody in my town finds me. It's, it's almost all they find me online. And um, that includes overseas. I've worked with people outside the US too. So um, let's see what else. And speaking, they can just email me to at nutrition at gmail.com. I, you know, I'm happy to come speak about uh, whether it's Alzheimer's or degenerative disorders. I, I hypothyroidism is a, is a huge passion of mine. Um, type two diabetes, obesity. It, it's, it's funny that I quite kind of became known for the Alzheimer's thing because I just sort of stumbled upon that. And I wrote about it because I was like, Oh my God, no, nobody's talking about this. How is nobody talking about this? And the way you do it is such an everyday way that I can actually freaking understand. So thank you. And I don't know why people aren't talking about it. So I'm so glad you did it. Yeah. But my, I mean, my personal passion is far more about obesity, PCOS, type two diabetes, but I can, so I can talk or write about it. I love it all. So I love it. Well, Amy, thank you so much for being our guest on the podcast. We so appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. You got it. Guys, thanks so much for being here on Life in the Fasting Lane podcast. You can get more tips on fasting, keto, and low carb at fastinglane.com. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Fasting Lane. Until next time, to your health and happiness.